It is good to see you. If this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Um, we're really thankful that you were able to come and join us this morning. We have been going through a series that has been based on the life um, of David through the Bible. And if whether you have, you know, prior knowledge of him or not, this is a, this is a man who's given a lot of kind of biblical context throughout the Bible. A lot of the Bible describes him and talks about him. And we've begun this story, and we're going to continue to go through it in the summer, all the way from when he was just just a teenager all the way until um, he passed away. David is a man, um, when you look at his life, that he's someone who shows us a lot about faith and what faith truly is. When you look at his life and you look at the things that God you know, empowered him with, the things that God gave him in, the things that God walked with him in, and you, you look at even how people tried to relate to God around him, there was a defining factor in David's life that was different from those around him, and that came with faith. David was a man who showed what faith was like, but he also showed us what faith wasn't like. His, his humanity is something that we can relate to. We're not studying a perfect person where we go, well, that's great. That's not me. David is, in every sense of the word, someone who is like us. And just, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think a good way to describe him is that he's Big sinner, but a big repenter. That he was someone who was truly human, but truly after God's heart simultaneously. What we looked at last week, um, if you were with us, actually the past couple of weeks, we looked at the story of David and Goliath. And for much of the story of David's story up to that point, he was just a shepherd boy. He was someone who was anointed as king over Israel, God's chosen nation, like God's church in that day, to be a light to the nations around them. And yet... Um, he had to go back to the pasture. People didn't recognize him or who he was as, as a king. And then this, this battle between the Philistine army um, happens in this sense, this battle between them for land. And he goes out and he slays Goliath. Many of us have heard that story of David and Goliath. Even it's a, it's a popular story of one even outside of the church. You know, the, the, the underdog against the heavy favorite and it's a story that had a lot of magnitude for its day and age because of who David was and his declaration in it of saying that I'm going to show today that victory belongs to the Lord. And he ends up defeating Goliath and they defeat the Philistines and we reach this part of the story and everything begins to change up to that point. It's one of those events that happens that creates a lot of different kind of events, some bigger than others, but there's a lot of change that happens in his life, but also the people around them. Um, and so that's where we pick up the story. If you're in chapter 18, that's where we're going to pick up this morning. And so if you want to follow along with me. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. What Jonathan did, first of all, if this is the first time Jonathan is mentioned since David is mentioned in the story. Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul is the current king of Israel and Jonathan is the son of him. David comes after this battle that had happened and what he does is he immediately embraces. It says he becomes one with him in spirit and for him to give you know, his tunic, his sword, um, his armor, in a sense, was a huge sign of respect in that day. It was this offering, it says, and he loved him as himself. He loved him, and it was this embracing that happened after him and the realizing of the hand that was on God's life at that point. 
So you see that happening even after the defeat of Goliath. And then it continues on to say, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. Those are the original cheerleaders for their day. That's what they would do after, you know, like, give me a, give me an eye, give me an us, give me an R. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, might I remind you, the next day is what it said after that. An evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. How many of you would be kind of scared that if after a day of deleting, defeating, deleting, delete Goliath, defeating Goliath, that this man who was the king who approved you to go defeat this warrior was prophesying and then the next minute hurling a spear at you to try and kill you? Kind of psychotic in a sense. Eh. You know, I think that's something that you begin to see in the story and even birthed out of those earlier verses of, how he kept a close eye on him. That something had changed in Saul's heart because when you, when you see the story begin to unfold or even just see what began to unfold with David defeating Goliath, you saw people begin to change how they saw David. Jonathan immediately embraces him, begins to accept him, begins to just embrace what God is doing through him. But with Saul, you see something different. You see a jealousy come out of him. You see this kind of, wait a minute, what? Is he coming for my kingdom? Is he coming for what I've been entrusted with? And it said that he kept a close eye on him in that verse. And, and literally the translation of verse 10, and it's Hebrew when it says an evil spirit from God, it means evil spirit allowed by God. Because what it, Saul had done, if you don't know the story, Saul was originally anointed to be the king of Israel by the same prophet that anointed David. And yet, once he was anointed king, he began to disobey God. He began to follow God. He began to, to lead the kingdom in his own way. And he began to step out in such a way that even serve himself, even to the point where Samuel, who was the prophet, was afraid to anoint a person like David because he feared he might be killed by Saul. And so what you see in that is that he had walked out of the covering of God's provision, which God doesn't want us to do, which, side note, one of the most dangerous things that God could say to you is, okay, go ahead, fine, have it your way. Better for God to say, no, I want you in my house than for him to go, fine, see what you got. Amen? Amen? Anyone? 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 <laughs> Amen in the back. So what you see in this story is someone who had walked out of the provision, and what it even says is that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, it says that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul because he had walked out. He had wanted to lead and do his own thing. And from then, he had lost his anointing as king, even though he remained as king. And so it continues on to say Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. 
but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led him in their campaigns. We're going we're gonna to stop there if you guys would just say amen to God's word. When you look at the story of the rise and fall of Saul, of someone who was anointed king, this is someone who played a large role in David's story. This is someone for the many of the next chapters to come plays a major role in the way that he treated him and the way that he interacted with him. And what we see birthed in this chapter, this week we're looking at Saul, we're looking at the way that Saul treated him. Next week we're going to look at the way that David treated him. And what you see in this story is you begin to see something change in Saul's heart. You see this, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of a psychoticness to the way that he acted because you see him even trying to murder him in, a, in his house. And where does that come from? Where does what just evil comes or just what kind of distortedness can fall out of the heart like that? What is that that comes out of him? What does that mean? You know, I think something that's interesting too about the women who came out singing and dancing for the troops who came back, kind of like a pep rally, I guess, for, you know, the armies of Israel. When it says that Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands, it's not saying David is ten times better than Saul. Because in its context and in that day, it was often that if there was ever a saying that they would increase by one zero or by one tenth anything that they said in the one before. Moses did that as well when he said, you will be able to put, um, one person will be able to put a thousand to flight and two ten thousand to flight. Didn't necessarily mean that literally it's more, it's just a saying. And yet someone like Saul would take a saying like that, that really had no deeper meaning to it. And he would just take it and go, why did they say that? Why would they look at me that way? Why would, is that how they feel? Oh, I'll do something about that. And the next day, he's off to try and eliminate him. So what is happening in his heart? What is happening in his life? And, you know, I think one of the best ways to describe it is that you see something happening and you see something brewing in his heart, which is jealousy. He was jealous of David. You see an envy of David that's even happening. And you, this is what we see even through the rest of the story all the way to the end of Saul's life. Jealousy is something... You don't have to raise your hands, but it's something that maybe you have been a part of. Maybe you've had a major bout with jealousy over something in your life. Maybe you have little bouts all over your life with jealousy. I, personally, I think jealousy is something that affects us way more than we ever imagine. Jealousy in a biblical, the way that it's defined in the Bible is this. It's a strong feeling of possessiveness, often caused by the possibility that something which belongs or ought to belong to one is about to be taken away. And so... Jealousy is also this interesting cousin in the Bible, um, in the family of biblical words, because it's something that God can do in a positive sense. It's used in a positive sense to describe God, but for us, it's not used in a positive sense. So it's like, hold on a minute. Why can God do something that I can't? Why is it okay for God to do something that I'm not able to do? And it, it creates, it, that's a good question to ask because 
you know, with God, I think one of the easiest ways just to describe it is that God's jealousy is spurred by love. God's jealousy is something that's spurred by his absolute love for us because he hates to see us go after other things. He wants, he wants our full devotion, and God wants to be fully devoted to us. And so that's something I've even, that the, when God says, when we go and run after the things of this world for love, it's like committing adultery with God is how it's described. And so the other side of it, though, is human jealousy is spurred by, by selfishness often. It's something that we can't handle in the way that God could. Uh, just like I said, jealousy is something I think runs a lot more rampant than we know, kind of in our own lives. Um, it's something when you, see, when you read through the Bible, you see often, you see it even in the beginning with, uh, with Cain and Abel. It's something that you see with Joseph's brothers. It's something that you see, you know, even happening in the early church as well. It's something just throughout Scripture, you see all these different examples. And this is one of the prime examples when it comes to jealousy. And so when you think about what is jealousy, it's not very, it's not talked about really often from up front. Maybe you've heard more things like faith, hope, love, you know, faith, hope, love, and jealousy. No, it's faith, hope, and love. Jealousy is something that's often not talked about, but it is something that's so vital to our own faith to have, a, to have an understanding of what God is and where he is. So if you've actually never heard of jealousy, I think some simple examples of what it is are like this. Say you're scrolling on your Instagram, and you see your friend, and they're in a certain place you want to be, look a certain way you want to look, or they're with someone that you kind of wish either you were with or had someone like, and you're angry at them, or you have this kind of envy of them, that's jealousy. That's an example of jealousy. If you're playing a sport, let's say you're playing soccer, and your teammate scores a goal, and you are not celebrating, yeah. can we give it up for Israel? So if Israel and I are playing soccer, and I score a hat trick, and Israel scores nothing, and Israel's mad at me, that's jealousy at work. When you think about if someone, like, gets a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you're mad because you want one too, that's also jealousy. When you think about someone who maybe has a calling from God that seems extraordinary to the call that you have and you're envious of them or you're upset at them, that's jealousy at work. You know, there are different kinds of examples of jealousy it can't it's not just major things but it's little things as well do you see how they could just seep into your life in just these little ways you could just be scrolling on your computer you could be scrolling on social media and just be having these bouts of jealousy that are never addressed they're just taking their punches at you and they're just hitting you over and over and you're not addressing it in your heart you know i think one of the ways that um i saw jealousy pretty high up as a minister was when I was in the college group. I, I used to be the house manager, and so we would have five guys and five girls that are living in the house. I was the house manager of it, and so I would oversee it. I would lead the house. They were also leaders in the college group that was taking place in the house. And I remember that there was this guy named Mike who was a leader in the group. I'm going to use only their first names. They, they don't go to the, the church anymore, but just for their sake, I'm only going to use their first names. Mike was someone who came to the group. Uh, he was a leader in it, and he was, he was a great leader. He loved the Lord. Uh, there were some things that he needed healing in his life, and I think he just wanted a wife too badly, you know? Like, I think he wanted to be married too much. 
And, um, but for the most part, it didn't, didn't affect or hinder his ministry a lot. And then as he, he had been serving for about a year and a half, and then one of the girls moved into the house to become a leader, and her name was Caitlin. And Mike liked Caitlin. Mike liked Caitlin a lot. And so Caitlin was one of those girls. She was an awesome leader in the group, um, very vocal about her faith in the Lord. Um, so you could only imagine times when she's leading the group, when she's, you know, leading him to Jesus, and he's just like, hey, girl, you know, I like what you say, and I like your heart a lot. And so Mike actually decided that he would ask her out, and she said yes. And so they started dating, and it was kind of, it was one of those things, it's like, yeah, that's, I, I like him, that's fine. As long as they're being godly about it, of course that's fine. But then something happened in the process of it. Katie just decided that this wasn't right. She just felt like this isn't going anywhere, and she broke up with Mike. Duh. And so, yeah, he what? <laughs> and it was one of those things where Mike was pretty disappointed about it, and it was an opportunity for me and one of the other pastors, his name was Chris, to just kind of wrap our arms around him and to be able to help him, be able to guide him and to pour in him. It's a, it's a tough thing, you know. And then just when you think things are about to get better, then there was a guy named Jake who decided to intern with the youth department that summer. Katie liked Jake a lot. And so we were like, no, 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 no. This, isn't a good, this, is, this is bad. And so they decided to start dating. And Mike, in his recovery process, he ain't happy. He was not happy about it at all. And he, it was like the equivalent of just, there's like gas poured all over the room. And them coming together was like this match lit that was just like, just, he blew up. And it was just, it was an absolute mess. And Mike was, he was so, so mad about it. Um, he went on an absolute rampage on him and on them. He was not happy. He began to accuse and to slander and to gossip. And any time we would hang out, it seemed like he wanted to just talk about them and so it was, it was such a frustrating thing because it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it, Mike. It's like, yeah, that's all terrible stuff. And so it finally reached the point where Chris and I, I, I love being a pastor, but some days I really don't love being a pastor. We had to go to his house and we had to talk to him. And so I remember the night that we did, it was actually over in that back neighborhood over there. We were living in that college house, so we just drove down the street and we just talked to them. And I remember we just... We just had a confrontation. It was just a really honest conversation with him, um, just about where he was at. And I think one of the things about Mike that was just so interesting when it comes to jealousy is that he was the last one to realize it. That in his hurt and in his brokenness, that he didn't realize that what he was doing came from a jealous heart. You know, jealousy is different in the sense of any other things, because it begins to destroy before we realize that it's happening around us. When you're angry, you're angry. You know, like, you know you're angry. But jealousy has a different way of working around us. Because things like anger and envy and strife and insecurity, they're all symptoms of a jealous heart. But to only address those things, I'm just really angry. Man, I just got to get a hold of my tongue. Man, I just got to address this insecurity. It's those are, that's like addressing kind of the outer things, but that's not addressing necessarily the root of it. And so that's where you get into the story. And that's why you see even with someone like Saul, 
There were times when he, rep- he repented and said, you know what, I was wrong to think that. I'm really sorry. But then the next day he would go right back to it. He'd go right back to being jealous. And why? It's because he was only addressing the outer things. He wasn't addressing the heart of it, that he was jealous of David and that he was upset that he had a calling to the kingdom and that God was with him and that he wasn't. I think, how many of you have Saturday chores? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all of you. I had Saturday chores growing up. What, what are some of the chores that you guys have to do, actually? Just yell them out. Vacuum, vacuum lawn mowing. I had to, does anyone ever have to pull weeds? Ugh. So my Saturday chore growing up was I had to pull the weeds out of the backyard. I got paid one cent a weed. Isn't that a, a ripoff from my parents? My brother's getting paid five bucks to mow the lawn, and it's like, that thing's a freaking machine. You know, like, he's not doing anything. And I'm, like, on my knees crawling through rocks and plants and trees trying to, and my mom, God bless my mom, but she'll literally pour them out of the bag and count each one and then pay me there. And so, I mean, I needed, like, a, a union. I needed, like, a labor strike to be able to, like, hold my way through it. And I remember one day I just got, I was like, I'm not going through all the work of doing it. So I just kind of pulled just the weeds. I just kind of pulled them. Not really hard. Just kind of went around. Didn't even, I was too tired. I didn't want to get dirty. So I was just going like this around the yard. Maybe I pulled some plants too, but she doesn't know that. And so um, I remember bringing it to her and she was like, "Mm -mm, this is not going to work. And I was like, have mercy, mom. Why? Like, just pay me, (laughs) you know? And so she actually took me out to the backyard and she was like, this is how you pull a weed. You are just pulling, um, you're just putting, you're not putting any effort into it. And I can tell because when you just pull it easy, all it does is rip it off. All it does is rip it off. But the roots of a weed go down pretty deep. And so you have to dig on the sides. You have to dig down and you have to pull out everything. Otherwise, it's just going to grow back. Yeah, it looks fine right now. Only until next week till they're all back. Or there might be more because the roots are still there. You know, with, with things like jealousy or anything of the heart for that matter, it's like these roots that go down deep. And so to only address the outward behavior of jealousy won't necessarily do anything about it. At least it might be good for now, but it's going to come back up again. Even in the story of Mike, Jake wasn't the problem for Mike. Jake just... Brought it. He was just the, the match that lit a weak heart or just an insecure heart of something that needed to be addressed by God. David wasn't the problem for Saul. Saul's issue was with God, and that's where he found real healing. You know, what it says in James 3.16 as well, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, this is the ESV, it says, There will be disorder in every vile practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist in the heart, that's where you begin to see those things come out of your heart. That's where you begin to see those things that take life from yourself and those things around you. You know, Saul's reaction to David was birthed out of his jealousy that the Lord was with him. And even with the example of the weeds as well, it's not just the problem is with that they'll grow back. But here's the thing with weeds is that the roots continue to go down farther and farther, and they actually reach into things like grass, they reach into the plants around them, and they begin to choke the life out of them if they're not addressed. 
And something with, with like jealousy, for example, it begins to choke the life out of all these areas in your life. And it's like this one area that you're struggling with that, le- that lays unaddressed. It like becomes this snare and it begins to just slowly drain things out of your life that are all around you because it's like under the surface and that's the key to it all. It's happening all underneath. It's all this stuff is happening where you can't see it with physical eyes, which is why it's so important for us to dig down and to look into our hearts and see if there are deep roots of weeds that are happening, deep roots of jealousy, anger, envy, strife that go down to a jealous heart. You know, jealousy destroys you from the inside out. It's not something that just happens to you from the outside in. It destroys you from the inside out. But when you look at the opposite of it, contentment, being content, not wanting to possess something that isn't yours or wanting to possess something where someone or something is in the way of you, contentment, it brings life to you from the inside out. So where inside out jealousy might destroy you, contentment with who you are and where you're at, it brings this healing to you and where you're at. Proverbs 14.30 sums it up well. It says that a heart at peace... It says it gives life to the body. When you're at peace with who you are and what God says about you and the things that he's given to you right now, it's like this life to your body. It's like these healthy roots that allows you to grow and it allows you just to be good. And each day it's like you shed new life and you breathe new life into yourself and the people around you. But just as it says, but envy, it rots the bones. It, it, it rots you and it just, it makes things that are strong and makes things that in your body, your bones are so, so strong. And yet it like rots your strength away. It rots the very strength that's within you. Whereas a heart at peace can make you stronger and more of a foundation of who you are. It can be a matter of contentment with what God has given us or a belief that God has something else in store for us. There's an example I used a couple weeks ago. It said, you never want to grab anything off of God's table because it might not be for you. You always want to let God put it in your hand. And um, a lot of you guys know who Corey Ten Boom is. It was someone who, uh, this Dutch woman who helped a lot of um, just Jewish people through the Holocaust. And she has this quote where she says, I have learned to hold all things loosely so God will not have to pry them out of my hand. You know, with jealousy, it can start from this place of selfishness or even just wanting to grab and say, this is for me, this is for me. But then God says, no, actually, this is for this person. Or no, this is actually for someone else. Or no, this is for you. And then anyone that you see in the way of that gift or that thing that you have your eye on that you're coveting or looking at, you begin to see as an enemy. And you begin to see as someone as just who's in your way. And that's where jealousy can truly lie in our hearts is that it's, it's about the thing that we want. It's not about the, the person or the thing that's in the way of it. See, Jesus has a way of providing for us exactly what we need. Comparison will kill your joy. Can we say that together? Comparison will kill your joy. It will destroy you and it will make you vulnerable to jealousy. Because if you're only good by the comparison of the things or the people that are around you, then once somebody has something that you don't have, you're going to be mad at them. And we're truly a comparative society. Would you guys say that in everything that happens, even from school to sports and things like that, 
that we truly compare ourselves to one another. Look at grades. I made the dean's list. I made this list. I was better. I'm in the 95th percentile. I qualified. I went to this school. I won this league. I'm better than all these people. So oftentimes, our own satisfaction, our own peace, our own accomplishment lies in being better than other people. And we're trained like that. And then we come before God who says, I love you just for who you are. And it's like, okay, as long as I'm not sinning as much as the other people in the room, I'm good. (laughs) And you know what? I want you guys to know something. If you sin the least in this room and you don't know Jesus, you're, you're going to hell without him. And if you sin the most in this room, but you come to Jesus, you're going to heaven. God has a way of evening the playing field, and he wants it just to be, be between you and him, not between you and them. He doesn't want you to compare your faith. And that's when we can get really dangerous, even for ourselves, because that's when this term sin management begins to happen, where we think we're only good with God if we manage our sin well, or we manage it better than those that are around us. But that's not true at all. It, your faith and has no bearing based on the people around you. It's between you and God. God is the one who justifies you, not the people around you. God also, he has a way of providing for us when it's our time to move on from something. Saul, he saw something that he wanted, but it was no longer for him, and it ate him up. But when you look in the first couple verses of the story at this man named Jonathan, Jonathan shows the absolute opposite reaction of jealousy. He shows humility, and he celebrates with David. He comes before him, and he serves him. If anyone was going to be jealous of David, it was Jonathan. He was the king's son. He was the next in line. If anyone was going to be threatened by David, it would have been him. Not Saul. Saul was already king. It was Jonathan. But instead, Jonathan realizes it. And he comes before him in humility. And what it says later in a couple chapters is he says, I know God has given you the kingdom. I know this belongs to you. I know what God has in store for you. He didn't go, well, that belongs to me. So give it. Get out of my way. No. He realized God had said no to him because he said yes to David. And he celebrated. And that's truly where healing comes. That's truly where healing comes in that. If the worship team wants to come back up to close, there is just one more point that I want to make. And it's this. Jealousy makes you think that the person in front of you is at fault when really the issue lies between you and God. Saul attacking David. Saul hurling his spear. Well, that was for his problem with the Lord. It was something between him and God. It wasn't something between him and David. Jake wasn't the problem for Mike. Mike's heart was, and that was what we had to sit down and explain to him. We had to sit. We had to go, Mike, you're just, you're weak because you want to be with someone so bad. Mike, you need, to, you need to bring that to God. And that was the point where he did. He brought it to the Lord, and he found healing. And actually, he went to them, and he apologized. He went and apologized to them. And it was, it was that, that was the point of healing in it, because there was a point where he had to come before the Lord And he had to bring it to him. He had to bring it to God right then and there. And I think that if maybe there's there's jealousy in this room, I believe that there's jealousy in this room. I believe there's jealousy in my own heart. 
that's happening. There's jealousy in all of us. And it, the way that jealousy reigns is by remaining anonymous, by saying it's not as big of a deal. But what you see in this story is what started off as just a simple seed in Saul's heart. It became something that would drive him to try and murder David. And you see him the rest of his days pursuing and trying to kill David. And, kill, and he kills people in his path. It's this thing that consumes him. And you know what? We can either bring our jealousy to Jesus and say, God, I need you to fulfill this thing that's producing this whatever it is inside of me. This jealousy is like this red flag that something is wrong, that something needs to be healed in our hearts. Or we can continue to just let it fester and let it grow to a darker place. And God doesn't want that. You don't want that. You don't want to live in that place. God wants to bring healing to those places. God wants to bring satisfaction and contentment because it's only through Christ that you can be content in whatever the circumstances. Whether hungry or well-fed, no matter what you have, rich or poor, people around you or alone, God can bring whatever you need right now. But the other side of it too is just as we pray, maybe you're, maybe you've been directing your anger at a person or a, or a thing or a situation or a teacher or a coach, when really it's not them that's gonna to heal your heart. They're not. David couldn't heal Saul's heart by not becoming king. It was Saul coming before the Lord that he would truly find healing.